Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of 20 Minute Fitness. Today we are starting a brand new series which will be co-hosted with an expert on a certain health and fitness topic. So these episodes will be partly interview format, partly exploring certain fitness topics with our co-host and we will try to have a few focal points of the interview on which the majority of the conversation revolves around as well so we can have a deep dive into certain topics instead of trying to cover too much and fit too much into one episode. So hopefully this all sounds really exciting to you and you're really excited and intrigued to see which guests we get onto the show and what sort of topics we will cover. I'm also really excited to dive into these conversations and educate myself as well. Before I introduce today's guest, if you are enjoying 20 Minute Fitness, then on whichever podcast player you listen to your podcasts on, please do hit that subscribe. You'll then be notified when we have a new episode released and leave us a rating and review because we'll then understand whether you are enjoying the content and we can also understand what content you'd like to see in the future. And once again, a massive thank you to our sponsor Shape. Shape are building a 3D body scanning scale. You simply step onto the scale and a robotic arm will move all around your body capturing all sorts of body data. This data is then synced to the Shape app and through the app you'll be able to see a photorealistic 3D avatar of your body along with all the data points, that being your body fat percentage, your lean muscle mass and your muscle girth measurements, making ShapeScale a truly comprehensive fitness tracker. So definitely check it out while it's still on pre-order at shapescale.com. So now our very first guest on the new series and I'm very very pleased to introduce to you Nate Helming. So Nate co-founded The Run Experience. So The Run Experience is all about helping you to become a better runner with the help of The Run Experience team. Run Experience was founded with the goal of reaching a broader audience of runners and outdoor enthusiasts who wanted to be able to run and enjoy the outdoors whilst remaining injury free. Nate himself has helped athletes finish their first races conquer new distances, overcome pre-existing injuries, and even set new PRs and reach the podium. In addition to coaching runners and triathletes of all levels, he also trains Olympic level cyclists, elite mountain bikers, and national level ultra runners on strength and mobility. He's also traveled all around the world to speak about better strength training for endurance athletes and regularly publishes videos and articles on how runners can do it better. So without further ado, let's get into the episode and get Nate on the show. It's gonna be a really fascinating episode. We're going to focus on topics such as training for your first half marathon and marathon and also having a look at what sort of gadgets and wearables that are out there that are designed to make you a better runner would Nate recommend for example and we're also going to look at whether runners should have a similar strength training routine and exercise routine to other athletes as well so it's going to be really in-depth and really exciting to discuss this with Nate so Nate welcome to the show and thank you very much for taking the time to come on 20 Minute Fitness. If you could give the audience a bit of background as to who you are what you do and what exactly the run experience is that would be great thank you. Of course, uh, Charlie, really excited to be here talking to you as well. My uh, name is Nate Helming. I co-founded The Run Experience four or five years ago out of a lot of injury and frustration, both for my co-founder and myself and a lot of other runners that we saw trying to train out there and always getting smacked down with injury. You sort of know the the pattern of, you know, you start to, or maybe you don't, but with runners, it's very common to get on a good stretch of training, feel like they're making some progress, then they deal with some sort of injury, then they're hurt, then they lose fitness, and then they have to start over again. So they just go through this treadmill cycle. and yeah. it's through cycle. And in 
both of our experiences, it forced me actually to get into coaching. It forced me to really get into strength training. I worked as a physical therapist aide for for a while, even though I had no necessary intention at the time of being a physical therapist. But it just it really forced me to take a harder look in my body. And I realized that the run community was was missing a lot of things that we as runners needed to be strong and be healthy. And I think a lot of run coaches would, as brilliant as they are, would handle all the run training, all the mileage you need to do. The There was this you know, kind of hidden, not so hidden thing that was like, well, this plan works perfectly if nothing goes wrong for you. Yeah. And as soon as you get hurt or you get knocked off or your mechanics just weren't that great in the first place, this plan was never going to work for you. So it got me thinking about my own situation, the runners that we see starting and now that we work with all the time who are using running as a vehicle for fitness in their 30s or their 40s and their 50s. They're not very strong. They're not very flexible anymore. And they're just, they're just excited to start. They don't know where. We wanted to to create plans and programs for them. And uh, we took the normal spreadsheet based model because, you know, you talk to old school run coaches, they were they were sending training programs by fax or by <laughs> handwritten letter, you know, so even even a web page was a big deal. But now we're like, OK, most running programs online are really just spreadsheets of mileage. And it's like yeah. with modern technology, we can do better. What if we actually filmed run programs so that you had a coach in your ear talking to you, demonstrating everything they wanted you to do, mistakes to avoid, how to get stronger, which is exactly what we did with run experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. If we do take it all the way back to when you first started running, what is it that really got you into running? Uh, And also, obviously, a lot of the run experience centers around injury prevention or, or helping people get back to being the healthiest version of themselves and overcoming an injury. What is the the most common injury you come across? And what is the cause of that injury? So the the way we look at things at the run experience is is a, like a kind of a whole body approach towards things which is really expanding as our as our understanding changes um, it certainly started mostly on the injury prevention and the strength training which is what we continue to specialize in and the most common injury with runners are just low level overuse stuff and I don't even want to focus in on any one specific injury because it gets us if we get focusing in the wrong areas I think for too long we've treated an Achilles issue, a plantar fasciitis issue, a shin splint issue, or an IT band issue as completely separate things. Yeah. And they certainly have their own little causes that you want to pay attention to. But it always comes back to lack of strength overall, especially in the hips. I'm not able to really get my hamstrings and glutes firing together. My hips aren't stable forward and backward. They're not stable side to side. So that every time I step, my hip collapses And then all of a sudden, my knee, my ankle, my foot collapses. So for me, it's like, look, I'm seeing a systemic sign of a lack of weakness and range of motion. My run mechanics aren't that good. And then I don't know where the small little fire is going to show up, but it's going to show up somewhere. Yeah, yeah, understand that. So yeah, as you said, it's not thinking about things independently because it's a whole system failure that can cause whichever injury really. And that comes down to, Mm -hmm. I presume, your your technique, your form, and also obviously your training. And if you're just diving straight into it without giving any sort of um, thoughts to how you're going to train. Yeah, I mean, that that being said, the the bigger injuries that we do see, it probably changes with the type of runner. Uh, With newer runners, you see, shin splints a little bit more frequently. I actually just uploaded a video of it today onto our YouTube channel going into the ins and outs of that particular one. I think plantar fasciitis and Achilles issues are also are also um, big things that we see online. And then sometimes for our, our more advanced runners or our intermediate runners who are really bridging up distance for the first time, they're going out for the half or the full marathon, that IT band starts to become a 
problematic. Yeah, so I luckily haven't suffered. I've done a bit of running in the past. Um, never been. I've been more of a rugby player, so I've always found myself a bit oh, heavy um, for running. But um, I have done two half marathons now and a Spartan race, and I enjoy those. Um, but I've never suffered from an injury from running itself. That's so great. It's hard, yeah, obviously, yeah, very, very, very happy with that. What is what's the sort of process? And I don't want you to obviously reveal everything from your YouTube video today. But say mm. I was just getting into running and I've got shin splints. You know, how would the running experience help with that? And what do you do to to help people? you know, overcome those issues and get back to being or, or running with the right technique, for right. example. So I, I look at an injury with basically a three-pronged approach. Uh, number one, I need to help just educate you and get you on board with understanding of what's going on. Because the worst thing that happens with runners is when they feel powerless and they feel like this injury came, quote unquote, out of nowhere. They rarely do. And that they have no control over it. Because that's just the worst feeling, you know, to be the the metaphorical kid stuck inside a recess while they're watching all their other friends run yeah. their races and play outside. And you're like, man, I'm just on timeout. And this is the worst. So we first want to say, hey, look, you know, this happened once. New runners, we all go through it. We're learning to read our body. This is what these signals mean. And had you picked these signals up a couple weeks ago, a month ago, there are ways that you could change your situation. And then all depending where you are right now, we can get you out of this hole immediately. So okay. the first step is getting a little understanding of what it is so I can start to take ownership of like, oh yeah, man, I wasn't doing that or this is not that strong. Yeah. And then we say, look, let's get rid of all areas of irritation and inflammation. Because if you were to go to a doctor with your shin splint issue, the doctor might say, hey, you should stop running. And a lot of runners are like, well, that's not exactly what I wanted to hear. Yeah. But it's a very reasonable thing for a doctor to say, hey, stop doing the thing that is irritating you or causing the problem. So in the short term, we say, hey, we do need to remove this point of irritation, but that doesn't let you off the hook in terms of training or anything else. It means we just need to shift our approach for a little bit. Yep. So we get into the short-term fix stuff, the mobility work. Okay, with shin splints, what's going on with your calves? What's going on with your feet? Do we have any knots in there? What about your anterior and posterior tibialis muscles, your perineals, just like these, these different muscles that we don't think about as much, but they all play important roles in terms of supporting our ankle, causing our foot to both plantar and dorsiflex, create stability, power when we push off. Let's start to poke around there and give those overworked, tired, stressed out muscles, a little blood flow and get them to release and relax a little bit. That can be done with a foam roller, a lacrosse ball, your hands, etc. Mm -hmm. Now, if we were to just stop there, you're going to create a lot of progress for yourself. But if you don't address why they got so tight and overworked in the first place, you're going to end up back where you are just on that injury merry-go-round. Yeah. Definitely. So now we, right. So now we need to start to address the longer term approach to things. And this is where we get into strength training. We can say, okay, maybe you're new to running. This area just hasn't caught up with the rest of your body. When I see triathletes or swimmers who have incredible or even cyclists who have really incredible cardiovascular engines. They really know how to suffer and push themselves, heart super strong. You could get them running and they have the mental willpower to run hard for an hour or a couple hours, but the tendons and ligaments in their feet just haven't adapted yet to the specific rigors and pounding 
of running, right? So in that situation, it's like, okay, we got to get those smaller muscles, all those little nook and cranny muscles just cut up and a little bit stronger. We can add a little supplement work and, and improve there. And then the final piece as we start to build things back in is going to be your run technique and starting to think about like, okay, sometimes with shin splints, that's associated with new runners who tend to overstride a little bit because they haven't really learned how to drive their hips forward and open up their stride behind them and their cadence is a little low. So there's just a little bit of excessive pounding on each foot. So then we can start to address those things so that all of a sudden this injury becomes a, you know, not fun, but a really good learning lesson and opportunity to come back as an even stronger runner. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's a Obviously better to correct things that uh, could lead to eventual problems as soon as possible rather than let them you know, build, build up, obviously. Okay. We need to talk about the narrative that happens with a lot of runners because if this was the narrative that every runner went through, they stopped, they, they took full stock on what was going on, they immediately addressed their soft tissue they started to work on strengthening and run form and technique. Like I, I would be supremely confident that we would cut down running injuries by 80%, something a lot, right? Like we yeah. really cut it down. The vast majority of injuries we see is, is people have a hard time differentiating between specific pain and general suffering. Like, like I'm a runner, I'm supposed to suck it up, this is hard, <laughs> yeah. right? Like I just keep pushing through. And then the other side is, man, if I can either just run and hope this goes away or do nothing, I'm gonna always choose just run. Yeah. And, and and that becomes an issue. So that's something that we need to address and break. And do you find, you mentioned just before about ownership, do you find that a lot of people do struggle to come to terms with it's something with their technique or their cadence or stride length that's obviously not ideal and this is causing the injury, but people obviously struggle to come to terms with it's something to do with themselves that's causing it, for example. You know, I... I don't blame people here. We're all a product of what we've been taught. Yep. And so much of, you know, my early coaches just weren't that adept. There's a lot of great running experts now who basically just they, they don't take ownership of the coaching side of injuries. They just say, hey, rest, go see someone. It's not my problem kind of thing. And they're not trying to do anything malevolent. Right. They're just like, well, I don't know how to fix this either. And there's this other thing that I like to call is a survivorship bias. A lot of our you know, experts in the run world are athletes who have been training for a long time. They've made it through high school, through college, their professional level, and the coaches who've been in it for a really long time. And honestly, these guys have some great advice, but for a lot of strength and injury, they're not the guys to talk to because they're the they're the individuals who are just on the edge of the spectrum who could just run and really nothing went wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, like they, yep. they're the ones who made it and their advice is like, well, just do what I did and you should be fine. But what that doesn't include are the thousands of runners, the former teammates in high school and college who got injured and burned out. Yeah, and yeah. there's this thing we sometimes talk about, which is the broken egg theory of training. If I'm a collegiate coach and I've got 30 talented kids on my cross country team, I'm just going to throw all the eggs up against the wall. And the ones that don't break, they're going to be my star runners. Yeah. But everyone else, sorry, you know, I, I bring that up for the ownership standpoint, because sometimes people just don't even know what to own. They've just been told run, 
You should be fine. Suck it up. Ice, Advil, new shoes, surgery. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those were kind of the options given to them. And what's interesting this whole time is there's been all this stuff staring at us right in our face that we can just do in our house that makes such a big, powerful difference. Definitely, definitely. No, that's great to, it's great to hear as well that uh, you sort of share the view that everybody is different and you can't just replicate someone just because they are the, the top of the game. So that's great to hear. You obviously mentioned as well strength training. And one thing I'd like to just have a quick conversation about as well is how you think strength training for a runner would differ to for me me for example someone who's obviously doing strength training for rugby uh, or other again weightlifters what's what's the, and swimmers triathletes whatever what are the, the major differences i mean I, I do a lot of you know posterior chain work like deadlifts sure. straight leg deadlifts a lot of squats and obviously my upper body stuff as well but what do you sort of recommend the runner to go through i love this question i like to think about it in a few different ways i remember when i got more into running i first just played a bunch of different sports when i was younger in high school i Grew up in New England. I mountain biked a ton. I ski raced, downhill ski raced, and cross country skied in the winters. I played soccer and lacrosse, and I did a lot of sailing. So I just was was pretty well rounded. When I got more into running, you know, I started to read, you know, the magazines and articles, basically saying, "Hey, if you want to get better at this one thing, you just have to do this one thing more." So what I then realized was a real well-rounded approach to training got a lot more narrow. Mm -hmm. I stopped skiing as much in the winters. I didn't really play soccer. I wasn't in the gyms. Like I just got to run and I just got to keep moving forward. And if I did any strength training, it had to be quote unquote run specific movements, things that mimicked running and supported this. And what happened was that my bandwidth got narrower and narrower to the point that I was just fragile. And like the, the joke with the identity for me as a runner is when we take new athletes and they all of a sudden feel like they're a runner is this very powerful thing. You can see this like little invisible Superman, Superwoman cape has been tied on. They're like, oh, I don't need an Uber. I can just run there. I can (laughs) do that hike. I'm not worried about my lack of fitness being a problem in any situation. And it's great. The, The flip side of the identity is that you take on the things that runners don't think they can do, right? Ooh, that looks heavy. I'm afraid to help you move your couch this week. And I I can, I got, I got a half marathon two weeks. I don't want to pull up. Yeah. 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 Um, I shouldn't be skiing this weekend because, ah, you know, if I fall this and that, and, and what happens is that by embracing our fragility, we just become more fragile and more prone and open to things. Have you ever read boys in the boat? I haven't. So it's a book about the 1936 U.S. gold medal Olympic rowing team. And it's a very cool story. It profiles these college kids out of University of Washington. And they were already the underdogs within the U.S. system because at the time, all the Ivy League schools rowing, you know, in the early 1930s were the dominant powerhouses for rowers. So these these kids were already underdogs. They beat all the Ivy League schools. Then they go to Europe and, you know, Germany at the time was just the powerhouse. So they went to go and defeat them. Fun book to read, but I had my coaching nerd hat on when I was reading this. And at the time, the coach was saying, hey, in your season, when we're rowing, I want you guys to only row. I don't want you to do anything else that doesn't look like rowing. And we're like, oh, that is that is the principle of specificity that we use today. That was the same thing that I heard as a runner early on when I started reading those magazines. You got to stop doing all this other stuff and just focus on your running. Yeah. And what I realized was like, oh, okay, yeah, totally. That's interesting. But when you read the stories of these kids, like they literally walked 10 to 15 miles a day in the summer. They worked as lumberjacks, like literally cutting down and hauling trees. So I am picturing and, and, you know, this is 1936. So, you know, they haven't spent 15 years of their lives sitting in a chair hunched over an iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's like their posture is great. They walk everywhere. Their feet are strong. Their shoulders are probably not slumped forward. They can move trees around so they can lift and move. Like they are just strong, active humans. So in that context, it makes perfect sense for them to take a a temporary reprieve from all that other stuff and just focus on the rowing and they're going to excel. And I like to set up when I think about strength training in that context, because right now our strength training is actually not about specificity at all. It's actually about getting us back to just being stronger general humans. That's interesting. And being open to a lot of different movements. So if I'm a runner and I actually don't have full range of motion with my shoulders overhead, if I'm a little kyphotic, meaning that thoracic spine's a little stiff, you could say, well, what does that matter? This is a lower leg sport. It's not like swimming that I need to reach overhead. It's like, well, if I'm a little kyphotic and my shoulders are rounded, my rib cage is a little collapsed over. It makes it harder for me to breathe fully into my dive. My arm swing is all of a sudden, it's not as north-south anymore. It comes across east-west, which adds a little excess of rotation and inefficiency that I have to deal with. And it has just a cascading effect further down the chain. So all of these things make such a big difference. And the thing that I found with runners from a movement perspective is that I want exposure to a lot. And I want to build up a buffer more than what they need. So squats, lunges, any posterior chain thing like a deadlift, which is just compound movements. Yeah. Picking up something heavy off the ground, pull-ups, push press, etc. Like if, if we can get you more complexly moving into some Olympic lifts, some jumping, all of that is great. As just like a big picture thing. Yeah. Now, in terms of the how heavy, how many reps, that changes with where they are in the season and where their goals are. And then when you do take the quote unquote run specific strength movement, really what that is are supplementary exercises that I learned to help with specific issues or injuries that I learned as a physical therapist. So if I'm like walking up on my toes or doing heel walks or single leg calf lifts, like that's not going to change the game for me from a performance standpoint as a runner, but that might help get me through an Achilles issue if I'm dealing with that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do um, a lot of plyometric work or is again, is that just something that's good for like all sports really? I think it's good all around for, for everyone to have some degree of plyometric work. I think with runners, getting them like I have an opportunity in the gym just to develop their feet and their ankles and that that rebound off the ground. So if I can get them not only jumping up, but jumping off boxes and coming up, jumping side to side, doing side to side on one foot. I, those are things I definitely like to add in and, and build up. Yeah, good. And again, that's the same with uh, rugby and all other sports as well. It's just um, increasing that, that power, isn't it? So necessary. This episode of 20 Minute Fitness is brought to you by Apre, the protein drink that is reimagined for your busy life and plant-based diet. On the go post-workout, looking for a quick snack to get you to your next meal, Apre was designed from the ground up exactly for these times to give back to your body with clean, plant-based ingredients. Apre was inspired by that magical post-workout moment that we all love so much. It's that wonderful feeling of confidence, a revving metabolism and extra self-love. It's a moment that can only be earned by getting yourself to class and pushing your body to new levels. Unfortunately, this moment doesn't last forever and when it passes, your energy crashes and your mind gets a bit foggier and your appetite spikes. For these moments, the team behind Apre has created a product to provide you with the replenishment you need to keep going strong. Apre will replenish you from the inside out. Go to drinkapre.com and use the code 20FIT to get your first trial four pack of flavors now for only $9.95 with free shipping. That's drinkapre.com using the code 20FIT. 
So, um, as I mentioned earlier, I uh, have done a couple of half marathons in the past, but to be honest, I have let it slip and I haven't been doing that much running recently. I'm still playing rugby once a week, but as we are, so I, I also run a video production agency, so we're doing a lot of filming abroad at the moment and it's uh, hard to stick with a consistent theme. I know that's not really an excuse, but if I wanted to build back up then to another half marathon and then potentially even on, in the future go on to a marathon what would some of the training or the the routines be like that uh, you'd advise sure so for a lot of so for the marathon and half marathon programs that we've built that you can actually access if you download our the run experience app in, in the apple store and, and soon to be released in android like you will see a program that has this balanced approach of what I've discussed, where it does have running, but it also has a lot of strength and mobility work in there as well. That's really built into the plan and it just removes a lot of guesswork. I think for someone such as yourself, you're not necessarily looking to start running six days a week and doing double days and trying to run 70, 80, 100 <laughs> yeah. plus mile weeks. Yeah, you're um, right there. Chances yeah. are you're like like me and like most runners, you're like, you know what? Like I want to commit to a half or full marathon. I think I can train five or six days a week for that. Maybe I'll run three, four to five days and I'd like to keep some other stuff in there just to to keep myself happy and to make sure my body stays strong. And that is, you know, where we would start. I think with the runs, making sure that you set up like a good weekly training rhythm where each run on each weekday has a certain purpose. And what that might mean is that you have one day that an easier day, you're just getting a little bit of time on feet, but it's also a very form focused run where you're moving all of the distractions and you're focusing on one aspect at a time, whether it's your breathing, your arm swing, you're counting your steps as you run, you're thinking about some other aspect to set good habits early on and, and to make improvements. Another day could be, okay, I'm going to get used to running a little bit faster for extended periods. Probably with rugby for you, you have that short burst and that power speed. We might need to get you good at running at sub threshold for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes. What does that look like where you're running at or faster than what your targeted half marathon pace could be. And then, of course, you know, we'd have another day in there that's just getting you ready for the specific rigors of the half marathon by just getting you closer and closer to that full half marathon distance in your training. That's interesting. I haven't in the past, again, I, as I said, keep saying, not someone who's ever looked into how I should properly train for my half marathons. I've just thought, let's go out and keep trying to increase my distance and see how we go. And mm -hmm. I've never really dedicated a particular session to looking at one aspect. So what I was doing recently just to try and get basically get back to getting fitter again was just probably I was probably going to the gym four or five times a week and then trying to add in three running sessions where I just add like mm -hmm. half a mile to each session but mm -hmm. obviously that's helping me with the endurance but it's not necessarily then helping me get my breathing rise as you said and my form and just just looking at how to sort of refine each session to, to focusing on one core aspect yeah you know with newer runners and you know maybe even people such as yourself who are like you know a fit athlete but doesn't necessarily identify themselves as a runner, you know, sometimes the sense is like, well, I'm not a runner, so I don't necessarily need to do speed or tempo work. But what we found is that by introducing that early on, it 
it sort of mimics our natural development of when we were kids. Like, you know, I've, I've yet to meet the kid at the school playground who goes out recess and, you know, locks into a 10 or 12 minute mile and just slowly shuffles around the, the edges of the, the playground. Yeah. Like they're playing tag, <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, yeah. I'm going to sprint until I'm tired and then I'm going to stop. And then I'm sprinting again until I'm tired and a little stop. And then maybe next year I can sprint a little bit longer and then I can continue to extend this distance out. And what's interesting, just like the exposure to higher load under a barbell, you know, for example, if you're back squatting heavy, I'm sure as you know from your experience that this isn't just a quadricep or glute exercise. It's like, man, every system is firing full compound movement, shoulders, back, lats, abdominals, everything is firing. Mentally, I'm really focused on what's happening and I become very attuned to different changes in my form. If I'm back squatting with a PVC pipe, I could squat any which way and I'll stand back up. I don't get that much kinesthetic feedback. But when I squat heavy, all of a sudden, if I let my knees cave in or I'm a little soft in the middle, like I get immediate feedback that this isn't working. So it's a weird way, and I always say this to runners, so in a very counterintuitive way, lifting heavier is actually going to make you a safer athlete because it gives you that kinesthetic feedback to, to make better, stronger movement patterns. And if we only lift light, if we only run slow, we don't get that kinesthetic feedback. And then we get stuck in the world of overuse injuries that quote unquote happen to us just because we're just not aware to what's going on. So that faster running, it actually gives us that tension in our body. We actually run better. It improves our mechanics. So that okay. exposure is huge. And then just from a performance standpoint, you know, far from just, you know, walking or slowly jogging and finishing the thing, you know, everyone gets that bug with like, oh man, what, what can I do to run five minutes faster, 10 minutes faster? Oh, can I go under two hours? Can I go under 145? And that's learning how to suffer at that below threshold for longer periods. How do I increase my stamina? And that's where that tempo and speed work also comes into play because it just teaches my body it improves my body's ability to to expand that, my ability to handle that slightly faster pace for longer periods. Talking about running faster and trying to obviously, again, push your limits, there's obviously a lot more integrated tech and wearable tech now that's coming out to help people work on their cadence, their stride lengths, mm -hmm. things like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Sensoria running systems, and obviously the there's the Lumo run, and there's even yep. under, under Armour hover shoes where they've got the tracking system built into the shoe do you use any of this yourself do you use any smartwatches? do you think that this technology can actually help you get to those points uh, where you are running faster you're pushing yourself a bit further you're becoming a better runner through all the the, the sure. real-time analytics they give back yeah so i so in a, in a word yes i think that there's a lot of really cool tech out there that can help give us more feedback and understanding of our running form and mechanics even just simple things of just noticing our speed did we speed up and and then did we slow down and crash at the end of the race? Like having that data is great. Noticing about what's going on with your your cadence with the Lumo run. Uh, I ran with that for a while, breaking down everything from how your hips move to how much you bounce with every yeah. drive. Like it's very, very cool. And for me, I was really interested. I was like, well, not only what are these numbers as a given, but how do they change from beginning to end? And does this change when I'm running on the track versus when I'm running the road or if I'm running on trails? So I was super fascinated with that. There's also also, stride power yep. meters. Have you have you heard of them? I have heard of stride. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they're very cool. So I was a triathlon and cycling geek for a while and, and raced bikes. So I was really into power. And now they're introducing this concept to the running world. And basically the idea being with runners, they would take pace and use that as your metric for effort. But if you're running up a steep hill,
still the effort might be the same, but the speed is obviously going to be lower. So pace is sort of thrown out the window. Or what if you're running and dealing with really stiff headwind? How do you adjust your speed to match the same effort level? So that's where that Mm -hmm. power metric comes in. So I think all those things are cool. I'd say the one caveat to that is that with all tech, have you ever heard of the simple, complex, simple framework of things? No. Can you delve into that? So let's take a runner. Simple at first. Hey, I'm brand new. I just need to put my shoes on, go out the door, run around the block. Great. Got sweaty, did something, high fives all around. And then as they get more into running, things get more complex. Oh, well, you have to run certain shoes. Oh, you got to run your shoe. You got to tie your shoes a certain way to prevent blisters. Oh, there's this watch you can wear to help you. Oh, you got to change how each run is each every week. You can't run around the block the same way. You got to reverse directions. You got to change your speed. So world gets more complex. But then if you've been in it long enough, it goes back to simple again. I can take it for the enjoyment or I can distill it down to the competitive essentials. Like Elliot Kipchoge doesn't race with a watch. Yeah right? Doesn't race with any of that stuff. And he has spent so much time or other runners like them have just spent so much time training. Maybe they've used tech, maybe they haven't, but they have internalized. Yeah. They don't need a thing to tell them their cadence because they know what it is. They don't need an external device telling them their speed because you could tell them blindly to run a certain speed around the track and they could do it. So that's a really cool thing. I think the cool part about technology is that it's exposing us to all these metric and numbers. I think what's going to be difficult is is, okay, I have all this data, what do I do with it, right? So we just get drowned in, I feel like we're just societally being drowned in data right now. And then the third side is like, you know, if I'm occasionally not putting a piece of tape over my watch or focusing on what's going on internally, I'm never gonna like complete that circle. No, I get that, yeah. And uh, that simple, complex, simple system you mentioned, that's quite interesting as well, because I definitely think that's the case. And it's as well, um, my friend, we had a friend to stay recently, he did the Great North Run, which is the, the half marathon round here, and he did it very quick time he hasn't been I think he's only been running for the past six months but he used to run a, a lot when he was younger and he got the mm-hmm. time of an hour and 17 minutes which is obviously pretty quick for a half marathon for someone who's that's just been, great yeah yeah running for six months or so and he started off with his watches he also had like have you heard of V headphones yes yeah so obviously they give you tips and things like that some feedback mm-hmm. about whether you need to slow up slow down or speed up and he started off with all that stuff but now he's been training for six months and he's starting to get I think he's doing an Ironman uh, next year in Sweden and oh wow he's yeah he's starting to reduce the amount of tech he's using and so obviously now when he goes out on a run he just listens to his breathing instead of trying to use it like a heart rate monitor or anything like that he doesn't use any headphones anymore because he finds it actually messes up the tempo of his running sometimes so it's all about now just as you said he's internalized everything he's learned from that tech and it's uh, it's now just going out and doing what he does yeah you know I think it's interesting too like with this tech we have to ask the question of what we're using it for. Is this to improve our enjoyment of our run outside or is it to help improve our performance? And there's overlap with those two things, but but sometimes they're, they may not be the same. And especially this day and age, you know, running is one of those things that is such a low tech sport. It's really nice to unplug. You know, you have a chance to maybe you have earbuds in all day like I do. It's nice to to not have earbuds in for a little bit where I can just listen to stuff outside. And that serves a very different purpose. Right. De-stress. Unclear. If I'm all of a sudden looking at every single number, you know, that's hitting me. I'm not exactly in the moment the same way. But at the same time, if I could have some of those things humming in the background and I don't have to look at it, I could look at it once a week you know, that's kind of cool too. So I think, I think figuring out, Hey, am I in a training block? Do I want to use these numbers to help dial in something? So he wants to go from a 117 half down to a 
114. That's cool, right? But then there are the other days where it's like, hey, like let's get rid of this stuff, yeah, um, and and let you let you relax. And and I've also found like, look, like some people are the early adapters. They love the tech, and that's a huge part of their enjoyment of the sport. And others are like they're just not. You know, they'll 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 start using basic stuff now. They're like the last people to get the smartphone. They've just discovered that podcasts are a thing, uh, <laughs> you know. But they'll but they're they're happy nonetheless. Yeah. Um. Just again quickly. Obviously, you said you use the Lumo Run, and we've met, we mm-hmm. talked about the amount of data and stuff there is. The sensorial like smart socks for example they have inbuilt ai that tells you how you know you should adapt your running technique for the next session whether you should rest etc how accurate do you as a runner find that sort of the coaching tips that are given to you by this tech i think it's early i've seen for example i've used a whoop band and aura ring those are companies that have sent us some some of their gear to to try out and they measure your heart rate your heart rate variability, your resting heart rate at night, your activity throughout the day. And they try to give you built-in helpful tips based on how you're feeling. And what's interesting is like some days, like it gives you a number like, oh, like things are great. Go at it today. And you're like, well, I feel, I feel terrible. I feel like dog crap. Yeah. yeah. No. And vice versa. And then every once in a while you see at night, you're like, oh, the aura ring spun around on my finger. And there was like a two or three hour window that it didn't track my heart rate at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so all of these things are built upon suppositions and certain understandings. The other main bone to pick I have is that with a lot of these companies, especially even Lumo Run, the thing that I'm fascinated with Lumo Run is they're saying, hey, your hips are swiveling 17 degrees. They should only be swinging 12 degrees. And for me, I'm like, says who? Like, how did you guys determine that 12 the degrees optimal, is the yeah. optimal number? And it's just like, I don't know. Like, they're like, well, we, we took a study of, of some kids and we found that this decreased injury rate by 10%. And you're like, well, who are the kids? They're like, oh, I was like, grabbed 20 kids in college. I can only do it for six <laughs> weeks. So I ran out of money. That is so, so much of the studies. So when we, when we see that type of scientific work, which is important, then distilled into these, what almost seem to be like laws, because I have this technology app saying like, it has to be this, that can get away from me really internalizing what's going on by reading my own signals and then just understanding more about my own body. So like, I feel like it's a, a crucial place. I feel like it's early still. I think the understanding and interpretation of the stuff, like I am wary of who's actually determining what the standards are yeah. because I may not necessarily agree with how they're coming to those standards. Yeah. And it's the same, not just running, obviously. They're starting to introduce like the Atlas wristband too that's meant to track mm-hmm. your your weightlifting, the number of reps you do in the gym. But mm-hmm. it's always going to be hard to quantify was that an actual rep or were you just moving your arm, etc. And I think it's for all wearable tech, it is just early doors, but it is an exciting, it is to, exciting. To it is exciting and fun to see and to track. You know, even from the early days of the Fitbit, just tack your steps. If if that is something that helps inspire people to walk around and run a little bit more, I'm like, man, I am definitely all for that. All for it. Yeah, definitely. So the the final thing I wanted to ask then, just before we sign off, is you know, it talks a little bit about what makes a good runner. But how do you transition and go from that stage of being a good runner, can go out and run a reasonable time, to becoming a great runner? What is the difference between the two between the Elliots and the people that obviously enjoy running like my friend and yourself for example like, what's the difference well let's let's remove just genetic talent for a second yep. right because those are things we can't necessarily control like your friend who ran for six months and you know just knocked out a 117 yeah um, that's genetic half yeah. marathon right like there <laughs> there's some people that could they could run their entire lives and never touch that number yeah and that doesn't mean 
you know, that what they've done is is not important. I think what's when we talk about good to great, I think what we're talking about is how each of us gets a little bit closer to what our true potential is. Yeah. What we really think that we can do. And it almost doesn't matter the speed, but there's something very exciting when you are honing that razor and getting close to that razor's edge and doing things that you never thought you personally could do before. I think that the first step is the daily habits and the daily practice. You know, my training isn't in fits and starts. I'm not only training when I feel like it or foam rolling my quads when I'm motivated or when I remember. It's I've built this in to my daily practice Mm-hmm. So I don't have to think about it anymore yeah. because sometimes I joke like like a lot of these run drills, couch stretching, rolling out your feet, like it's boring. I'd much yeah. rather you think about more interesting things throughout the day. So yeah, how can you drip all of this stuff in? And in the beginning, that just requires a little commitment and focus to, to adding that. And then can I just find enjoyment in it where, you know, in the long run, I keep coming back to this, you know, the, the runner who, who goes head down and trains for one half marathon feels terrible because they probably weren't doing a lot of these other things around strength training, run form injury prevention. They're like, I'm never doing that again. In certain respects, Hey, you check this thing off your list, but it's also like a lost opportunity of where you could actually go. So figuring out a way to just enjoy it and and be in it for that longer haul. I think that with a lot of elite athletes, professionals and Olympians I've dealt with, like the ones who just find some degree, it's like it's play for them still. Like they, they come to work, they're focused, they know that there's a lot on the line, but they can still just be bouncing around like a kid every once in a while and just enjoying what they do. The ones who take it too seriously, who push themselves too hard and are hard on themselves and not very kind, they're the ones who who flame out as well. It is so true. And the thing about routines is it's just, you can see it obviously within your own life. When I'm trying to go up in the weights I'm lifting, for example, and progressively overload my muscles, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not really a thing unless I get my nutrition right which I do, like, you know mm-hmm. I make sure it's on point every day if I make sure I'm getting my sleep right every day if I make sure I'm doing mm-hmm. the stretches before I work out every day for example and again mm-hmm. what you're saying about sticking with it is something I've also noticed as well I used to play not nowhere near a top level athlete don't get me wrong but I was I used to play quite high level of rugby six days a week was at the pitch uh, you know two three hours plus weightlifting sessions in the morning and then I just needed a break from it and now I'm only playing two to three two to, two three times a week mm. now so again it's just those people that obviously are still finding the enjoyment to to the top level again where they're putting in hour after hour. I also really believe that we are a product of the people we surround ourselves with. So, you know, even as runners, we sometimes think of this as this solitary sport, but it's, it really is a team sport. In, um, in California, I've seen this just in San Francisco, there's a really vibrant trail and ultra running scene built around this one running store called the San Francisco Run Company. And when they open their doors, they start hosting these Saturday morning runs. And at the time, early days, like, you know, there was like one or two fast guys, maybe a professional ultra runner there, you know, that would show up and they would have a whole crew. But now like that is the place to go if you are an aspiring trail runner and you want to rip. And these yeah. guys, they, they shred, like they, they go hard and, and they have all, they have all speed. So it's, it's a welcoming group for everyone. But what's interesting is like, man, if I wanted to be a really good ultra runner, I would start showing up and running with them every Saturday. And I'm just going to like through osmosis, I'm just going to absorb so much yeah. hanging out around these guys, learning what in they eat and drink and how how they climb how they descend and then i just get that little extra motivational push to run with them can i can i do it i think that in the running world what's interesting 
is that there's a lot of U.S. teams that are starting to form and change how U.S. American runners train for distance because there's a long time where we were in like a drought. Like we didn't really have anyone very dominant or good nearly as much as, say, the East Africans, for example. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think the U.S. is trying to imitate with some success is they're trying to create track clubs and teams where rather it's just the solo professional marathoner training by themselves. It's these coaches are organizing these teams of 10 to 15 to 20 runners who might be training for different distances, but they basically all live and run together and yeah. they really support each other. And you're starting to see the, the results of that, which is cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much, Nate. That's uh, been really insightful. And again, I've said, I'm going to check out your YouTube videos to get myself and my business partner back running. And I'll definitely keep you updated on how we're doing and what distances we're getting to and what times we're For getting sure. to. For sure. So yeah, yeah, thank definitely. you very much. Of course. And, you know, we do have an app that you can download. We've been hard at work with some developers this past year, you know, relaunched in August. It's got a cool GPS tracker in there. We have tons of workouts that you can search for based on what you're trying to do. We have marathon and half marathon programs. We also have some cool challenges that you can try. We have something that you can even do called the Run Cadence Challenge, which is 30 days. You just run three to five minutes a day with a metronome or metronome app that, you know, has an audible beep, has you running at different rhythms and, and people really, really love it. So we'd love to see you in there. Awesome. Yeah, no, definitely will. Definitely will. Plan on signing up to another half marathon in the future and yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully beat my old time. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much and have a great day. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. The very first co-hosted episode of 20 Minute Fitness. A massive thank you to Nate. I think it was a great conversation. Nate is extremely knowledgeable on all things running and I learned a lot myself and I hope you did as well. Hopefully you are all equally as excited as I am to have a chat with the next guest. And so if you did enjoy this episode, do not forget to subscribe on your podcast player and we will catch you next time.